0: Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. We're coming to the end of 2023, and I've put together a special episode based on one of my favorite topics that has come up over the last 12 months. Something that I've talked about with the guests on the show quite a lot is trying to get to the bottom of how do I understand why I am winning and losing deals. The idea being that when I know why I win deals and why I lose deals, that can help to shape strategy then in terms of focusing more on those winning factors and cutting down on more of those losing factors. As such, I've picked together some of my favorite snippets from those favorite conversations. I hope you find these useful as we head into 2024. Enjoy. I'm really interested to dig into that attribution data, and I think it's something that's often overlooked in terms of not only where are we generating MQLs from, but further down the line, what impact is that having on deal velocity and win rates? So in your experience, and I appreciate this would be quite specific to Big Hand, probably two parts to this question, how do you go about calculating that? And how do you go about understanding which sources are having the biggest impact on my deal velocity? And then the second part to that is, what did you find were the factors that had the biggest impact?
1: Yeah, great question. First of all, you have to track all sales and marketing activity, events, campaigns, paid media, and all of your sales activities and start to analyze what's having an impact. So it's a pretty big lift on the revenue team to record all their activities. The first thing is the change management aspect. You have to convince them that that data or the results of their efforts would be valuable to them. And we've got a wonderful team at Big Hand. They're not necessarily sales professionals they are sales professionals but they're really business people so they understand that we could go about growth in a couple of ways number one we could do the traditional growth model of adding additional salespeople, reducing their territories or we can invest in a more go-to-market a more modern go-to-market strategy and invest in marketing and rev ops so we can make them more productive The trade-off then is we need you to help us make you more productive. So part of that is recording all activities. Part of that is ensuring that you're getting better each day from a messaging and an industry expertise standpoint. So that's how we approach the change management. Part of that was taking sales leadership and marketing leadership and saying, what do we believe the high-value activities are? Then taking them to our revenue advisory board and say, which is made up of our representative sellers and sales engineers and sales leaders of each of our teams from a product segment and geographical area and asking them to fine tune those high value activities. And then once we've agreed upon them, configuring Salesforce to support that. So we had sales leaders input, we had key stakeholders within the revenue organizations input before we finalized it. So it's been a very intentional change management path to gain buy-in, but it's, it's really not gaining buy-in. It's helping them understand how it's going to help them. And that takes time.
0: Mm. There's a couple of bits in there. And I think that's, I love the way that you can simplify down that process to get to that point. And then I guess what I'm really interested in is now you've got that information and now you know, okay, these are the regions and the specific industries and perhaps even down to the point of, you know, these are the, this specific personas that are having the biggest impact on our deal velocity what does that process look like then to actually get that implemented into your sales teams or your wider go-to-market teams and how do you improve the adoption of that is it through kind of your through the sales leadership or is it through process yeah
1: it's actually through both and we're still in the stage of tracking we need probably six months of information before we can confidently and quantitatively say do this don't do that do this don't do that however whenever we have qualitative information like if you introduce if you are able to get the chief operating officer into your sales process at this point versus this point it speeds up your deal velocity by x qualitatively, we're having that experience and we socialize it in our monthly recognition meeting and we socialize it in our weekly team meetings. However, we want to get to a point where we can support that qualitative experience with a quantitative approach. But we've just started the data collection process, Lee, and we're six months out from being able to have enough data to be able to quantitatively do that. But we celebrate the successes. We get together monthly and we celebrate the wins and we talk about how, what was the source of the lead and what was the key to moving that along? What did you learn from that process? Each time an opportunity is closed, I get an email notification from Salesforce. I reach out to the salesperson and ask them, what was the lead source? And what did you learn from that process? And then when there's something different or exciting, I will circulate that amongst the sales team. And then sales leadership is celebrating via Yammer and the wins as well. So we do a lot of social socializing of those uh, things that are working and those things that uh, are leading to faster deal velocity and ultimately sales growth.
2: And then I think at the field level, as where we started, it's then being able to provide those same sort of actionable insights to the field to say, okay. You know, how do I have a great conversation at those critical moments? What does great look like? Provide the content and provide the tools. So we're talking about opportunity management frameworks to help them kind of really install this kind of ecosystem in this operating process. And then even just guides for like, what does good look like on on this? What questions do I need to ask when? What do I do with that information? And then how does that turn into the story of change that I'm going to help drive for that customer? So the connectivity between, you know, think of it as a service roadmap for an existing account that will actually go back to the business case and what I'm helping with when it's from, it starts with the onboarding handover, it goes through the QBRs and the check-ins, it leads into the renewal and expansion conversations. It should all be rooted back to that same story. And then how am I getting great insight and information into that story to make each of those meetings valuable? So I'm being proactive, not reactive. So that's some of the, the main, main components. I will say for away, I know there's a lot there, but we actually have at Insight Revenue, the former head of research from C V and Gartner. And so as far as like the importance of science and data, the ability to audit what you're doing, the impact studies you're doing for your customer, the ability to do research, like this is a core capability that a lot of organizations don't have that I think, you know, if you look CB and Gartner, some of the greatest organizations on earth on doing that. So having that capability to be able to focus for customers, they can do their own ability to audit benchmarks themselves as they go from the organization down to the individual level, like that's a core part of what we think organizations need to stay the course and improve over time. So yeah, so sorry, happy to unpack any of those, but that's kind of the four big components I would think of.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I think that was a perfect way of of summarizing it as well. And I I would second the point that you mentioned at the end, which was really the big thing that was coming up for me, which was everything you described was really around the frameworks that you can then build to ensure the consistent adoption of it. And really what all of that stems from was, that, I think the bit that you mentioned at the end there, which was actually what the insight is, which is we can see that by doing X is delivering result Y on the other end of it, because that's then around, because for AMs and for, for reps who you're implementing these changes with is you want to be showing them this is how, you know, what are they incentivized on? For a rep, it's around them being able to close more deals, right, or being able to expand and it's putting it, it's taking that insight and putting it into their language, which is regardless of all the business metrics. Cause, you know, in reality, it's how will this help me to close more? How will it help me to hit my target and hit my own goals? And if you can take that insight and turn it into their language, which is how it gets them to from A to B, then it's like, okay, you know, everything else is I can, I can buy into that. I find that often the, resistance is yeah that all sounds great and, and it can be um you know depending on where your business is can be complicated i find sometimes to build those frameworks and what you want really and the most important thing is to have everyone's belief and buy-in into i i get it Like i know why we're doing this i'm on this journey together to really see the results at the end of it
2: yeah what you're describing is that everyone wants to feel like they're everyone uses the term partnership to <laughs> liberally like uh, yeah. are we a partner? Are we a vendor? Are we a supplier? Like whatever wants to be a partner, right? Or a trusted advisor. And I think that's, that's how you do it. Like if you can show that I've helped many more people do exactly what you're trying to do and successfully, that's the kind of partnership I want. So guide me, be prescriptive, like steer me along the way, make sure I don't make the same mistakes others have made versus like, Oh, well, you know, like I'm an expert on my product and I can teach you how to use it. And by the way, I can talk to you about utilization to make sure that you spend all the credits <laughs> that you're using all your licenses, right? Like, you want, like these kind of vanity things, like that's not really helpful. And that's why you know, we want people to show up for the calls. We want people to pick up the phone and call you, whether you're a salesperson or uh, someone in CS. And then you've got something valuable to share with them. And I think you know, th- that's the core to it. And providing tools, training, templates, and ultimately content is how you make this really easy for folks versus just you know, what you can't do is just train them and then ask them to do something aspirational and then not really show them the steps along that yellow brick road
0: you touched on what i think is a really important part there which is um it's uh, having that data and insight to begin with to know where to then build everything else you know that having the tools and frameworks that come next so uh, you kind of mentioned the audit there but could you elaborate a bit more on what that audit looks like and what you're looking to find and really where you're looking for the leakage in, in the pipeline there.
2: Yeah, and this is great. I know you don't want me to talk about Epsta, <laughs> but <laughs> so this is where we're actually, and where we're definitely excited to be, um, you know, partnering with Epsta to really look at like a combination of how you do qualitative and quantitative data analysis to really audit a go-to-market for an organization. So for us, it really starts at looking at the full lifecycle of the customer. And being able to understand, yeah, like what's working and not working so that you can identify best practices and scale them. And also you can identify breakdowns and blockages. And I think the data that you guys provide to your customers is fantastic. And then it's, you know, what else would you need to be able to actually arm yourself as an organization to drive change?
0: How you approach setting up your teams for, you know, how do we make sure that we're not only bringing on customers that are right for us long term? how do you also approach what the cross-sell process is and upsell?
3: That's a great question. I'm going to break it down. It seems like there's three layers. One is, how do we make sure we're signing the right customers? Two, how do we make sure that we set up the right teams and have efficiency metrics? And I I have a whole theory on that. And then three is, what are we doing to drive lifetime value in the upsell? On the sales end, on the front end, as you go out to market, I think there's things that every company that is a technology-based business could be doing to improve that. The first one, and it's basic, is create a feedback loop. Every month, let's aggregate all of the input and feedback from why we won deals, why we lost opportunities, what the customers are saying, and aggregate that. That should give you directional information of what to build, what not to build. You One customer might ask for something, and you have to have the discipline to say no. A set of customers might ask for something, and you say, oh, wow, that's an unlock. Let's go build that. That's an opportunity to go drive net new revenue. So the closer that sales if you will or business development and customer success are, and the more they know of what looks what what good looks like from a customer and what the ideal characteristics are that will help so bringing those two teams together my experience at marketa I worked with a gentleman by the name of Salman Syed. he was in charge of BD we would have constant conversations about how we would run the customers what the customers should look like in the next cohort. And that way it helps us scale, helps us go from, you know, say $30 million of revenue when I entered the organization to five hundred and fifteen uh, heading into the IPO. So it's those types of metrics that you can really look at and understand that that helps. In the middle, we talked about the theory of efficiency. And I think, again, looking back on every organization I've been a part of, I've been part of the dot-com boom and bust. I've been part of the global financial crisis. And this, you know, the latest economic up, uh, turn if you will, not downturn, upturn, whatever it may be. And I think the biggest thing that we got away from is efficiency metrics, whether it was both from a venture capital standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, we weren't looking at what's the revenue per employee, what's the contribution per customer, and it was growth at all costs. There's many, many publications or articles or blogs that talk about that. But I think we'll get back to the norm, which is grow with the right customers, with the right margins, at the right internal organizational metrics of hiring tools, applications, all the costs that go with it. And then the and that dovetails into upsell.
0: I'm curious to know the role that revenue operations played in your teams. So, you know, was it one of those where you're going to your revenue operations team of I want to know more about this, this, and this, can I get a report? Or are they more integrated to the strategy? Just curious to know what your kind of outlook is on their role in, in the go-to-market function
3: in the go-to-market function that's a great question that's a really good question i think both across i, I think across all three organizations i'll name aurum marketa and genesis that when you're trying to figure out either your hyper growth moment like marketa was of how do we 10x the business or a company like genesis which was in the loan origination business or even aurum which is in the money movement. It's a matter of three things, three vectors or elevations. One is being an advocate and being naturally curious about building out a go-to-market execution plan by understanding verticals, understanding who the players are in those verticals, what the competitive advantages of the company you work for versus the market. Are there incumbents? And then really distilling that down and saying, if we went and won this vertical, does that align with our margin? Does that align with our you know, end goals of how we're building our finances. That's the first elevation. The second is, how are we building the team out and scaling? So they should be the person that's almost like the analogous to FP&A that's building customer or sales forecasts. They should be the ones building human forecasts of saying, if we have 10 salespeople, this is what we can expect them to close per quarter. Hence, this is what our goal should be for the year. And if they build that across the organization for sales partnerships and customer success, They're assisting not only the CRO, but also the executive team to have a clear understanding of what the capacity is. And third is making sure that all the trains run on time, the reports are out, running the pipeline report, making sure that everyone's aware of what opportunities are coming down the pipe, what opportunities are straight in the middle of the fairway where they can be implemented no matter what, what requires a little bit of a custom build, and they should be the ones raising the red or yellow flag and saying, hey, we have a really unique opportunity they're really outside of our scope. Let me go talk to product and engineering and solutions engineering and see if we want to do this. They shouldn't be saying yes to everything. They should be really thinking holistically about the organization so that we can attain the the efficiency metrics. And I think both at Orem and and at at Marketo, we did that through a very, very distinct pattern of cycles of planning, execution, and day-to-day operations. (music)
0: does the process look like to really get a sense of, okay, where am I spending efficiently and where should I be making cuts rather than just going at it with a hatchet?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I can only speak to that in regards to revenue operations. I can't speak in other areas of the business. So let's focus on sales, marketing, and customer success. I think that when we open the hood and we look deeply into a lot of the companies that we work with, you just see a lot of glaringly obvious easy wins and low-hanging fruit. So let's talk through what some of those are. Let's start at the very top of the funnel with marketing. If you have an MQL goal and you're focused solely on lead generation and or your systems are not connected from marketing to to Salesforce and you can't see all the way through to revenue, that's just an obvious gap. You're going to end up spending money on certain marketing channels that will generate a lot of MQLs, people that don't actually want to talk to sales but somehow engaged with marketing enough to hit a lead score And then you're investing money chasing the wrong thing rather than looking at each one of these individual channels and understanding how do these people go into pipeline and then actually closed one. And then if you want to go further, look at the lifetime value of a customer. And most of the time we see organizations don't have the data to do this. If they do, they oftentimes have the wrong incentives in place to incent marketing, to focus on the right thing. And we even talk to marketers that understand this and want to do this, but they have a CEO that maybe doesn't understand marketing and is pushing them in the wrong direction. That's marketing. Let's now talk about outbound lead generation, right? We are all the recipients of cold calls and emails that just completely miss the mark on having any relevancy for us, right? Every day we're receiving 10 emails that talk to problems that don't have anything to do with the industry we're in, the sector we're in within that industry, the size of company we're in, or the role that we serve in our company. Now, what does that do for the company on the other side of that? What it means is they're spending a lot of money on people, on tools, on messaging that isn't hitting the mark. A lot of times this is because they have insanely high activity goals. We need to do 100, 200 activities a day. There's no time to research the account. So we spray and pray this wide net We have extremely low conversion rates. We miss our targets. And then we try to solve for this by saying, let's increase activity quotas even further, exacerbating the problem. Instead, let's take a step back. Let's lower the activity goals. Let's narrow our ideal customer profile and our buyer persona and get laser tight on who we focus on. And let's find the messaging. Let's go look at the data that we have, what emails were opened and read and responded to, what weren't. And how do we reverse engineer what is already working what our top reps or SDRs are doing to generate pipeline that actually closes. And let's figure out what companies and people we should be targeting and get super narrowly focused on that. We just did a podcast on Wednesday or an event. The podcast was released yesterday on territory planning, and we laid out a lot of like challenges there. Okay, so I've covered outbound. Now let's look at actually closing deals. So many companies, especially early stage, don't have a sales methodology. So what sales reps will do is they will either just throw a bunch of stuff into pipeline at stage one or they won't create it at all. And then when they're ready to close a deal, they move that deal into closed one or they create the deal at the stage of closed one. This means two things. You have absolutely no ability to see any visibility into your pipeline. So that means that the sales leader is getting the team together and they're just going around the horn and saying, tell me what you're working on, tell me what you're working on, tell me what you're working on. on." That is a gross inefficiency of time. You have your most expensive employees all sitting in a room together accomplishing very little. It makes it much more difficult for the sales leader to actually coach reps on how to get better. And it makes it more difficult for the the sales reps to retain information and understand what they need to do to follow a process, especially junior folks and or folks that are new to the organization. So instead, if you really break your sales methodology down and say, this is the... You know, gate or the entry exit criteria we have for stage one, for stage two, for stage three. Before we do a demonstration, this is exactly what we need. We have all of the information inside of Salesforce. So it's staring you right in the face when you go to update your deal. And on a weekly basis, if not daily, we're constantly pushing our reps to update their pipeline and coaching them on when deals should be pushed out, what else they can do to increase their chances of winning deals, and just narrowing that focus so we can maximize our chance of winning our deals. Then let's take it a step further and talk about customer success. Customer success is woefully neglected. When we talk about RevOps, we're lucky if we can get people on board with the idea that it's not just sales, it's also marketing. Rarely do I see companies encapsulating customer success into how they think about revenue operations as well as revenue leadership. Look at how many CROs are actually covering all of sales, marketing, and customer success. It's very rare. And these are the easiest people for us to sell to.
0: Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.